thank you, stranger, for saving me there. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was just... In Why were you on the side of this bridge? I don't understand. Because uh, I'm in such an ex existential despair. I can't say words properly. <laughs> oh, no. <Yeah. laughs> our, our podcast wasn't listed as one of the year-end's best. Ugh. And, and Not by the all, New York Times, not by The Verge, not by yeah. the AV Club, nothing. Exactly. Nowhere. And, you know, all the political tumult that's going on now. We're in the midst of a government shutdown. Apparently, people are mad that we want to take troops out of a war zone. It's very strange, <laughs> and I'm not dating this episode at all. Least of all, doing a Christmas parody. Ugh, it, it's so—it's too much. As if I wish I were never born. Well, let's see what happens. <laughs> well, what, what do you mean? Greg was never born in this universe. I, I suddenly... Let's see how different everything is. Oh wait, everything. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm sure we'll find some subtle differences as we go along. Oh, I could say personally, I just feel like a cloud has been lifted. Suddenly I feel <laughs> suddenly I feel like all the energy in the universe, like 8 million pounds, is suddenly lifted off my shoulders and I can ascend to the heavens. Gosh, I just feel wonderful. I, it, man, I wish everybody felt this way, that they were just dead and had no impact on the universe. Uh, I do feel like everyone in this timeline is a lot happier. Yeah. So, hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Is that what they say about Donnie Darko? They're like, oh, Donnie Darko is like uh, a wonderful life in reverse. Like he realizes he needs to be dead or something. We should watch that for this. Yeah, podcast. let's watch that for this. Well, I do. I do know how it ends. I don't want to reveal it here. Um, oh, okay. Without a big spoiler alarm. Actually, no, it, it's years old. But yes, you're right. He <laughs> he makes a personal sacrifice. That's the idea. Oh, like Christ. <laughs> oh, that guy. Oh yeah, it's Christmas, everybody. <laughs> well, that's we should have watched Darny Darko for this episode. Yes, it, it's one of the few movies where there's a Christ allegory. You may not know that. <laughs> But yes, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we watch old classic movies and reevaluate them in our modern eyes. Yes, through a modern lens. No, inside them. We're literally <laughs> absorbing them inside our eyes. So, no, what I said was perfectly cogent. Okay. And uh, like every other form of entertainment around this year, we have to do a Christmas episode, obviously. Of, although we are running out of uh, movies which are Christmas-themed that we haven't seen already. Uh, for this mm -hmm. podcast, we've done Die Hard, which you hadn't seen before. We've watched that for the very mm -hmm. first time. Uh, meet Me in St. Louis last year. <laughs> that was a great experience. Which really technically isn't a Christmas movie. Actually, that's the weird thing. I think I think part of the fun of this podcast is we can always expand the definition of Christmas movie. Next oh, yeah. year, Eyes Wide Shut. Yes. Let's watch Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Again, I, I've explained my love of uh, Citizen Kane as a Christmas movie because there is literally it mm -hmm. literally takes place, five seconds of it takes place at Christmas. <laughs> But no, this year, again, continuing our theme of 80s movies Greg needs to catch up with, we decided to watch. Need, need is a big word. <laughs> oh, Greg. Greg, how dare you? Because you have gone 31 good years without seeing Gremlins. Talking about Dem Grimmins. This is G2, people. Okay? <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I mean, why did we watch yeah, exactly. Gremlins 2 just based on the brilliance of that Key and Peel sketch? Well, no, we're watching that next week. Oh, I we're see. Watching oh, you're right, you're right. You're and then we're watching Gremlins 2 next week. <laughs> but, Greg, well, how, come you, how come you've avoided Gremlins for so long? The legacy of this movie. Well, for the same this reason one, that I've avoided a lot of 80s movies up until now. I feel like they're products of nostalgia for 30 to 40 year old losers on the internet. 
But you are a 30 to 40 year old. I know, I'm getting there, yeah. So, I, (laughs) well, that's why I reserve my love for 90s things, such as Animaniacs and Home Alone. I'm not sure, John, if you realize this, but uh, (gasps) there's been a new joke on Twitter about how, um, how disturbing it is that in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, that classic Christmas film, <laughs> uh, one of the wet bandits, played by Daniel Stern, gets a brick thrown, uh, hit in the face with a brick, and it's played off as cartoonish, rather than disturbing, as it should have been played. Well, he also gets electrocuted and turns into a skeleton for a split second. So I know. I don't know why people are thinking the, the brick strains credulity. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I expect total realism in my Home Alone movies. Yes. Well, it's it's because it was the opening salvo is the issue. Um, I oh, believe that's okay. why. But to tie it all back together, that movie, Home Alone 2: Lost in New York, uh, disturbing images aside, was directed by one Christopher Columbus, uh, not the man that sailed the ocean blue in 1942. Um, I said 1942, and that's not coming out. I know. Um, and weirdly enough, he directed this Christmas-themed film. Uh, excuse he me. He didn't direct it. Yeah, he wrote he it. He wrote this Christmas-themed film. Uh, on a lark uh, oddly enough so yeah i mean that's been my version i also wanted to something else that i can't quite square in this movie is that it's a horror comedy and i know what you're mm. thinking what horror comedy that's a contradiction <laughs> in terms and uh you got peanut butter in my chocolate you got chocolate in my peanut butter uh, no it's, more, it's i it's more like a sweet and sour um like oh. a yeah and Sometimes your palate just isn't ready for those. And in the case of Gremlins, I, I kind of felt the same way. It's, it's a comedy, but it's, I didn't find it very funny. And as a mm-hmm. horror movie, I didn't find it very scary. So it's, it's kind of this weird mishmash of, uh, the sensation, the, of kind of the sensational things that people really grab onto when they admire these movies. I'm thinking of the stunt work in Indiana Jones, like the production value of Goonies, um, the the dramatic uh, action thrills and gore of RoboCop. I mean, you kind of latch onto those things. And this movie felt the same way. First of all, production. First, I can't let that slide. Production <laughs> values of Goonies. Really? That's, that's what everyone what, remembers about that movie? Th- they remember the pirate ship, John. Come on. Oh, okay. All right. That's true. It birthed a thousand stunt shows and, <laughs> right. and an attraction in Las Vegas. Anyway, <laughs> I think people, like all these other movies, they gravitate to the sensation, but there's something kind of empty in the middle of the story, and that's that's kind of what I needed here, mm, and why I won't I, why I won't put it sorry. in the Christmas pantheon next to, uh, <laughs> as I said, Citizen Kane, or It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> or Christmas Carol, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to push against that, Greg. Excuse I'm me. I'm going to push against that hard. Okay, okay. all right. Because I enjoy this movie quite a bit, and I think the problem is I didn't view it as a horror or a comedy. What I saw it through the lens as a Spielbergian misadventure. <laughs> it is. It is. It does feel very much like a Spielberg movie, even though he did not direct it. Exactly. Well, I mean, it, it says in the title right there: Steven Spielberg presents <laughs> yeah, <that's true>. Kremlins. <laughs> well, it was coming hot off of E.T. the Extraterrestrial, so back to of the course. biggest name in Hollywood. Yeah, and I and that's kind of what I think the mode of this movie is kind of operating in. Granted, it does get dark at times and kind of disturbing and creepy but again like temple of doom and that's just who steven spielberg used to be now he's mr all right how much cgi can we throw in this you know how how many vacation days do i get <laughs> you know back in these days he was like kind of a man you're and... just basing that on ready no you're, you're just basing that on ready player one you're he's more the grandpa now he wants to watch no. these, these character dramas of like five people talking in a in a in a well lit room with the sun blazing outside going supernova outside <laughs> that's more his speed now oh not okay. ready player one can he get tom hanks that's the important question yes. <laughs> but no i thought i uh, it worked for me and i think it's because they do keep it is for the first 
third of the movie that kind of Spielbergian like oh what's this weird little creature like you know a kid trying to figure out his way in the world in his little small town community and then for the second act it becomes a horror movie where they transform and they turn into these gremlins yeah. and you know the whole metamorphosis that they go through and you know they're popping in and out they're kind of sneaky but then for the third act it says all right you know now you don't take them seriously anymore now it's a comedy <laughs> now they're all dressed up in you know yeah. their little cockney uh, hats and you know they're singing carols and they're getting into mischief and stuff like that so that's why I, it worked for me because again it's very segmented it's not like flitting back and forth between these three modes constantly well, yeah, and I think I admired the first bit of that, just as the, mm-hmm. uh, the, as you said, Spielberg uh, mystical adventure. Like, oh, we're in a very mm-hmm. relatable setting, in this case, the town of Kingston Falls. And it sets up little personal conflicts, like uh, uh, the main character played by Zach Galligan has to support his you know, working-class family. His dad's a, a kooky, I won't say kooky inventor, but a, a hapless <laughs> inventor. Let's, say, let's use that term instead. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He's courting the affections of a young lady played by Phoebe Cates, um, who has her own personal mm. feelings. So, Phoebe like Cates. that, yes, <laughs> that I that I found interesting to, to up to a point. Um, but from there, I think it's the the comedy bit where <laughs> I, it really loses me because from there, there's no real story anymore. Hmm. It, what do you mean by that? It, it, by that, I mean it, just to give people a broad outline, a young Zach Galligan. Uh, whose name is uh, Billy Peltzer in this movie, mm-hmm. he uh, gets a new pet, basically a combination of a uh, monkey, a uh, guinea pig, um, and just an adorable-looking Furby. It's a, it's a Furby, essentially, <laughs> um, for kids of the 90s like me. Oh, what is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. It's really neat. Where did you get this? Oh, some little junk store in Chinatown. Can I pick him up, Dad? Sure, go ahead. Just be careful. You gotta be gentle. I will. I hope he's housebroken. Hey. Aren't you cute? Has it got a name, Dad? Yeah, Mogwai. What? Mogwai. I don't know, it's some Chinese word. I just call him Gizmo. He seems to like it. So it's mostly about like a young kid handling a new responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it goes it goes awry pretty quickly. The uh, pet multiplies and then turns into these the titular gremlins. Uh, I just said mm-hmm. gremlins again. <laughs> turns <laughs> That's into the, fine. <laughs> yeah, turns into the gremlins um, who just cause havoc in the city. And it's after they turn into this army that there's no real story anymore. Intrigue. There's no twist from there. Instead, it's just like instead it's just I found boring setup of oh the gremlins are here let's get rid of the gremlins there or oh the gremlins were stuck here in this location with the gremlins and I knew at that point how easily they were defeated that it wasn't really escalating for me it wasn't getting any more serious. Um, yeah, but I think it kind of lives and dies on those set pieces and I think those set pieces work for me like once they go to Dory's tavern. And you know, they're ordering drinks, and she has to serve them. I thought that was kind of hilarious. But this like, scene is interminable. It goes on for way too long. No, I never understood no. why she has to serve them drinks. <laughs> That's what makes it funny. <laughs> it's the fact that these weird creatures are all of a sudden, like, you know, they're flashing her, and, you know, they're just, like, they're drunk, and they're smashing bottles over each other's head. Come on, it's fun. That's in the first I mean, two minutes of this ten-minute sequence, wherein... <laughs> 
somehow the gremlin gets a gun. I, maybe that's the other problem too, is that there's no logical squaring with this movie. There's no there's no logical center to this movie. Um, no. It starts no. with the trademark three rules. A, you can never get them wet. Because um, mm-hmm. that's how they multiply. Yes, which is which. A, they never explain until I guess it's an interesting twist when they finally do realize it. But things like, but then they walk around in the snow and apparently like they never. <laughs> that's fine, and they multiply whether they're uh, little mogwai or the you know lizard like gremlins. It doesn't it doesn't matter which. But mm-hmm. uh, the second big rule is uh, avoid bright light, mm-hmm. which is only set up in terms of like how you have to kill them at the very end because a poor uh, our. Our hero gremlin, the little mogwai uh, named Gizmo, who's adorable, mm-hmm. great puppet work, loved him. You're right, good, great part of the movie. However, yep. like he gets flashed by bright lights constantly, and he never seems to hurt. He just gets like incapacitated, and it's just silly. Um, whereas bright light later comes into the story, and that's how you you really terminate a gremlin. Mm. And then finally, the the rule that this sets the whole plot off is that you can't feed them after midnight. But it's always like midnight sometime. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, are they are they aware of time zones or? <laughs> And again, I don't, I don't want to be—I don't want to be pedantic or anything, but well, it sounds like you're kind of getting pedantic, yeah, I which I kind of understand. When you don't enjoy a movie, it's like the pedantic stuff just sticks out all the more. Yeah. So uh, that stuff really didn't bother me because, again, like the last third of the movie is operating on Looney Tunes logic, so I really do not mind. Like again, this is directed by Joe Dante. If anything, if anyone knows anything about Joe Dante, mm-hmm. it's that he loves. He's so constantly inspired by the Looney Tunes. That's in the veins of everything he ever creates. And you could definitely tell it here, even though he also has kind of that affinity for horror. You know, he has that in the second act. In the third act, again, it's just all pure Looney Tunes. Where do these gremlins get these costumes? Where do the gremlins get the guns? You know, it's like, it doesn't matter, okay? Yeah, just like Bugs, Bugs Bunny when he dresses in drag to, you know, get exactly. the goat of Elmer Fudd. <laughs> And that's exactly. fine, but it's not as funny as Looney Tunes is my issue. Mm. And it's I li- mean, and a, it's live action puppet. too. Like that's that's the other thing I can't square. Maybe that's something with writer Christopher Columbus, in this case, writer Christopher Columbus preferred, mm-hmm. like kind of Looney Tune action. Also, I think he originally wrote something much darker, which then Spielberg and Warner Brothers made much more family friendly. Yeah, I mean, there's still those uh, dark elements in it, like. And especially the way the gremlins kind of operate, you know, they can't help but be dark the way they, that they melt at the end, which mm-hmm. is kind of gross. Yeah, <laughs> Very Raiders of the Lost Ark, that kind of last sequence. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, the darkest thing everyone always talks about is like Phoebe Cates' character revealing kind of why she's such a Grinch, why she hates Christmas so much. <laughs> yeah, John, explain that for the audience. So, so there, there's kind of a reprieve. Uh, he and, she and Zach Galligan, Billy Peltzer, are on the run. And uh, mm-hmm. it seems like they they finally found a safe house uh, away from the gremlin menace. Yes, they've escaped to the bank, which they both work. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a moment to breathe, and she kind of reveals her dark, tragic backstory on why she hates Christmas. It's because her father, trying to surprise their family with presents, decided to climb into the chimney and got stuck. Um, after, like, two days, they realized he wasn't coming back. <laughs> they thought they had abandoned him. Turns out his rotting corpse was in the chimney the whole time. Yes. And she kind of ends it with a weird... That's how I learned there was no Santa Claus. It's like, that shouldn't have been your number one concern. <laughs> well, I like the detail that he added that, John, he didn't suffocate and die in long, slow agony. Instead, he fell, broke his neck, and died instantly, as if that makes mm. it any better. <laughs> I'm glad they added that detail. <laughs> yeah, it would have been too... Yeah, that's one of the Steven Spielberg changes. It would have been too dark if he suffocated slowly. <laughs> no, I believe, because there's a lot of... Obviously, this movie has a lot of fans, so there's a lot more like behind-the-scenes gossip and trivia behind this movie. I think literally mm-hmm. everybody wanted this scene cut. 
because it adds oh, really? nothing to the story. Except it does kind of, and it really comes out of left field. Yes. <laughs> I guess, well, I mean, from, to some extent, it does give Phoebe Cates' character a little bit more personality, rather than just being the sidekick to Zach Galligan as they, um, as they mm-hmm. go through the night and, you know, surrounded by all these gremlins. So I do appreciate that, and also I believe Joe Dante justified it in like, oh, that's the that's the dark comedy. It's it's funny that he got stuck and died and traumatized <laughs> this poor girl. <laughs> yes, it's dark and tragic, but it's also kind of funny in a way? Question mark. <laughs> so I yeah, I'm gonna disagree strongly with Mr. Dante there. No, okay. <laughs> and the other thing too, and I'm glad you pointed out this scene because I think it really typifies what I find also a, another huge issue I have with this movie, and that's what is Zach Galligan's character doing when she's pouring her heart out and explaining why she despises Christmas? Um, I really don't remember. Please remind me. <laughs> he's searching around the bank for like more survival weapons and things. He's not listening. Billy oh, Peltzer okay. <laughs> is such a pud. I hated this character and I honestly wanted him to be ripped apart by Stripe the Gremlin. I mean, <laughs> okay, he's such a doofus. And although the biggest... they, and although they they do try to make an attempt to characterize him just like the Phoebe Cates character. He's an aspiring comic book artist. And yes, he's supporting his family, but still he's 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 really dim. <laughs> and I think that's a trend of, like I think that's to make him relatable, but yeah, I I really didn't like him and really didn't care as he goes through this journey and just didn't didn't have anything to aspire to other than I don't know, surviving the night. Like he did he never yeah. explains he never explains how he feels responsible for it. Uh, he never gives anything like a second thought. <laughs> He's just got that dumb, like, open mouth look throughout the whole movie. I just I really didn't like it. Yeah, really. Do- I mean, so again, the gremlins are the tie back is, you know, he was responsible for this mogwai, and obviously he's the one who kind of let it get out of control. So mm. that's the kind of tie in there. And here's here's my reading of the movie. Yeah. And I think why people, you know, are atta- so attached to it, especially as young kids, it's because it is a movie ultimately about the aging process. And that would, you know, the gremlins go through this transformation. They go from, like, cute and cuddly to mean and nasty. And Billy Peltzer is, uh, as a character, kind of going through this whole arc in his, you know, life. He wants to be an illustrator, but realistically, he has to go work for a bank. He's kind of in this in-between phase of his life where he realizes that he has to take on responsibilities. And the gremlins are kind of, like, a metaphor for that. At least that's that's a cursory reading because it obviously doesn't completely work. Because what is Billy's age supposed to be? <laughs> and I think that's the big one of the biggest problems of the movie is that he's supposed to be kind of like sweet and innocent, like kind of like a tween, but also he's working at a bank and he's at a bar in one scene. Yeah. <laughs> and when he asks for scientific help for the gremlin, he goes mm-hmm. to a high school science teacher. Although yeah. not even high school. Sorry, he's a he's an em- elementary school teacher because he teaches Corey Feldman. Um, <laughs> exactly. His best friend is like half his age. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's some logic that the movie also can't, can't quite square. Um, that didn't bother me, at least in the opening scenes, because, again, they try to make him relatable, saying that, hey, his bank telling job is basically supporting his family. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm like I'm drawn in by the relatable issues that they're having. Like uh, Phoebe Cates, like again, he's attracted to Phoebe Cates, but so is the uh, the jerk played by Judge Reinhold, <laughs> uh, who's a scion of the the bank manager. So obviously, he's on the fast tr- fast track in life. And another problem with that movie, he never got his comeuppance. <laughs> no, did the gremlins ever go after him? I was like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna be killed by damn yeah. gremlins. But no, he never gets touched. <laughs> he's never seen again. No, <laughs> I think that's the other uh, sign that this is a Steven Spielberg movie because I think it was very ambitious and had to be like cut down. 
Okay. All I right. think he's, he saw this script and, and suddenly they started adding all these things like uh, like the Judge Reinhold character who was going to get his comeuppance or at least go yeah, crazy we in the need bank. The, that scene was whole cut. We need the bully, the uh, yuppie bully. Mm-hmm. Instead, we kind of went, we ended up with the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. She's kind of the real villain. <laughs> John, I wasn't seeing any signs that she was like the Wicked Witch of the West. I, what, what do you mean? And your little dog, too. <laughs> oh, that's right. His his dog has to be there. for Yeah. Another, like, logical issue. Like, the, they set up that villain when he brings his, uh, when Zach Allegan's character brings his dog to the bank. Why? It's, it's never explained. But, so, yeah, some things, like, could use some tightening up in the screenplay. Again, I don't want to sound pedantic, because there are things that I really do love. Uh, or excuse me, that maybe not love. That's a strong word. <laughs> Things that I really do like about the movie. Let's let's talk about the Gremlins themselves, Sean. Absolutely oh, yes. incredible puppet and animatronic work. <laughs> no, yeah, the special effects in this movie are, are are quite amazing for something I think that was shot on this on a pretty shoestring budget. Yeah. if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I, it, this movie had a lot of ambition, and I think it, it, it fails in many areas, um, story wise oh. and maybe tone wise. Oh. But oh. again, uh, well, right. I admire in its ambition. Mostly admire though Gizmo. I mean, I think that's the best. In in addition to being small and they do a lot of camera tricks, but between like. Oh, I'm gonna pick up the puppet, but now I'm gonna now it's gonna put it, set it down out of frame, and then it's a floor a floor puppet that has a lot more articulation. So that's incredible. Well, I mean, as well as the little like animations that they're able to make them do, uh, <laughs> like ta- like two two uh, two little Mogwai puppets like tapping at each other from behind a, a cardboard from between a cardboard box, like <laughs> like the high school teacher tries to draw high school. Sorry, the elementary school science teacher <laughs> tries to draw blood, or actually does succeed in drawing blood from the Mogwai and the way he like whips his hand away and makes cute little noises yeah it's just it's a well-produced movie very ambitious mm-hmm. it's just i wish i i wish it kind of amounted to more other than as you said mm-hmm. like being an allegory for responsibility maybe and mm-hmm. like the I, guess, I don't know the idea of technological gremlins <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's also kind of the weird thing it never fully explores the the term gremlin implies and it also in the movie itself, like the gremlins are very technologically kind of, or they're attracted to tearing, you know, things apart mechanically. And again, that's where the title, that's kind of tied back in with his neighbor who fought in the big one, WW2, you know, um, excuse me, John, WWII. Oh, excuse me. My apologies. Delivered (laughs) by the venerable Dick Miller. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. And when he, he sees the gremlins for the first time, right before they kill him, he's, you know, he remembers them. He's like the gremlins. Um, I mean, maybe it's also kind of like a tie back to, uh, uh, Twilight Zone. Although that oh, one was like big yeah. and hairy, yeah, that was like big and hairy. So, which the Mogwai kind of 
looks like a little bit. Maybe that's why the Mogwai is not as hurt by light because he's hairy. He's got hair. He's got no, fur. Yeah. Oh, good point. Skin. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, it's tighter yeah. than you think. It's tighter <laughs> than you think, Rick. <laughs> well, just also to bring up the technology, I'm going to bring up another issue I have with the movie, and that's a, a little bit with casting. Mm-hmm. First, with Zach Galligan being such a pud, um, for one thing. <laughs> of indeterminate age. <laughs> yes. The other huge issue I had, and I was kind of drawn in by this, but there's there's a little opening and closing narration done by uh, Billy Peltzer's father, um, mm-hmm. who, as I said, is the hapless inventor. But mm-hmm. the problem is he's he's they cast Hoyt Axon, who is like a – he's like a he, – his demeanor is like a cop. He's like a big, serious guy. <laughs> and so it's it's not who I pictured being a hapless inventor. And no, I guess exactly. that's the other thing I couldn't square. Um, he definitely does not give enough enthusiasm to the role, I think. Yes. Like, even when he's trying to play salesman, he's like, hey, come on, you got to check this out. It's like, it's fun. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, I remember also the last scene takes place in, or at least the climax takes place in a department store. Mm-hmm. And that's when... Uh, his father, Billy Peltzer's father, finally returns home from this trip. He just wanders into the department store and just shrugs his shoulders like, eh, how about that? <laughs> he is way too calm based yeah. on everything that's happened. <laughs> well, after after struggling, I mean, come on, who isn't that way after traveling for work? That is absolutely true. Yeah, right. Again, Especially he, through a snowstorm on Christmas Eve? Come on. Only <laughs> He only sold one smokeless ashtray. He has nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's the second time I've seen this movie, so maybe maybe I have a little more affection for it. Because I I actually liked it the second time better than I did the first time. Okay. And you're right. It's because I understand the story is pretty loose. I know that it's pretty, but I, this time around, like again, I got to appreciate the details more. Like again, you were talking about that great animatronic work, mm-hmm. but also I really like the score. It's yeah, kind of used very good. sparingly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know got like kind of. Hot. It's 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 that weird kind of mix between like 1950s, you know, sci-fi film and then the 80s synthesizer. I kind of appreciated that. weird things that always kind of bother me is why are they uh why are the gremlins watching snow white and the seven dwarves there's so many references I, to like classic 50s well i i actually <laughs> like the yes i i think it's because well I, yes you're right there's a lot of um, nods to not just b movies i mean the the clearest one i think is a close-up of a, a tv playing invasion of the body snatchers from 1956 mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another one is uh, the climax of It's a Wonderful Life, so he's saying Merry Christmas, and of course the movie mm-hmm. takes place around Christmas. Yeah, I think that's just about like maybe just an admiration of all entertainment, and I think he just wanted to cover all his bases. Like obviously, the the opening title and soundtrack is straight out of Looney Tunes. That's true, and and we have our like uh, live action family movie. We have our 
B horror movies. Because um, <laughs> also, I'm, I see some background details. Like the time machine is at the convention where the father's trying to sell his inventions. Yes. That's my favorite psych gag. Yeah. I think <laughs> one of my favorite psych gags of maybe all movies. Yes. There's a time, he's at an inventor's convention and there's a time machine behind him. And then we cut back. To, he's having a phone conversation. We cut back yeah. to the house and then we cut back to him. And the time machine's gone. It's just a poof of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> There's also Rob from Forbidden Planet, so I think, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe just licensing a Disney movie was a lot less expensive back back at this time. That seems impossible. That's there's no way licensing a Disney movie is cheap. Oh, oh, John, it was it it was a rough it was was a rough time in the 80s for them. That's right. Uncle Uncle Walt was gone. Um, I don't know what Roy. I don't know what his brother Roy was doing at the time, but yeah, it was rough. Michael Eisner didn't come in and save save them and then drive it into the ground later. And whatever, it's fine. I, th- I think also it's the contrast because as as you said earlier, this is when they're at their most uh, mischievous, mm-hmm. <laughs> between the, the smoking, the drinking, the uh, most outrageous sort of to contrast that with something as wholesome as Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. That's true, and it's the, again the whole the whole idea. I guess even Billy makes a fine point of it is like they're all calm, like they're all kind of sitting and actually yeah. <laughs> enjoying the movie. <laughs> No, that... They just came back from a night of boozing, and they're all like, let's just watch an animated movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe that, uh, I did like that line delivery. Like, uh, <laughs> they're watching Snow White, and they're loving it. <laughs> <laughs> but it does point to, these latter scenes really do point to something like, I, I don't know, I didn't find it particularly clever, like, oh, we're just going to sneak in. They barely sneak in. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just turn on the gas and then, oh, we just wind up in a department store. Like, yeah, like I don't know. It just These these last few scenes felt a little sleepy to me. Little Gizmo as adorable as he is, as he is, is in a uh, Barbie, a little Barbie remote control car. Um, mm-hmm. for Which is funny for the first 30 seconds, but it goes on for another three minutes and doesn't leave. Yeah, anything. and you think it's going to amount to something like really exciting, and it doesn't. He yeah. kind of like accidentally... <laughs> Ramps off a shovel, you know, opens up the blinds, and then, you know, obviously Stripe gets his comeuffins. But, yeah, uh, yeah for all the buildup, I don't think it was <laughs> worthwhile. Because, no. again, it's like, it literally feels like 15 minutes of him driving that little Barbie car around. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I can't share the affections that a lot of other uh, old, fat, bearded, um, <laughs> wow, bespectacled uh, wow. losers who have their own podcasts, you know. <laughs> wow, harsh. Yeah. I was speaking. I no, was talking about you. I was talking about you. Oh, nerd. excuse me. Yes. Excuse me. You yes. know I can't grow a beard. How dare you? <laughs> I'm very sensitive about that fact. I thought you were complaining about other loser podcasts. It's the cool podcast. <laughs> That's true. We are the coolest podcast out there. This is also true. Well, that's the story. So if your air conditioner goes on the fritz, or your washing machine blows up, or your video recorder conks out, before you call the repairman. Turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under all the beds. Because you never can tell. There just might be a gremlin in your house. And John, let me tell you something that all the cool podcasts are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, usually we have a segment called, um, I don't know what it's called, Spotlight? Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie! It's time. Yeah, we get all excited, I guess, about you know things. You may have seen, or listened to past episodes. Um, you know, we breathlessly, excitedly talk about things. That ain't me. All right. No, no, yeah. we're too cool for that shit, yeah. man. And let me take a toke on this jazz cigarette. <laughs> 
<laughs> man, who gets excited about stuff? Yeah. We're disenfranchised Gen Xers. Who yeah. cares, man? Mm-hmm. That's square. Yep. Chew on this, daddy-o. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the year, and I think maybe we should talk about like the best movies we've seen all year. Yeah, then head back to the flippity-flop, you know. <laughs> had to throw that little <laughs> grunge era malapropism in there. Anyway. Yes, let's talk about our favorite movies of 2018. Woo! Yes, I think a solid year in movies. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it was pretty good. Um, pretty good. I, Holly- I think... Hollywood did a damn good job, um, considering. Oh, that is actually true. Yes, yeah. I guess I should give them more credit. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I would say that it was a more ambitious year, but that, again, that kind of level of experimentation also invites a lot of failure. And mm. I kind of want to admit that they probably had a little bit more failures than successes okay well what was a failure in your mind let's just uh first movie i saw of 2018 was the cloverfield paradox ah. and oh boy <laughs> what a mess <laughs> would you say it was ambitious though like why, why did it fail other than just being a confusing monstrosity of a movie that they decided <laughs> to put cloverfield on the name of <laughs> um i think you just spelt it out right there uh, okay um yeah it really doesn't know what it wants to do it really doesn't know what it wants to even say mm. um it it's a movie about parallel realities, but nothing about it has anything to do with parallel realities. Some mm-hmm. guy gets like gets merged with like worms. One guy loses his arm. Like none of it has any kind of internal logic. And then to save this god awful mess, they're like, all right, throw the Cloverfield monsters in it. That'll make sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's. A, I think the year really benefited. I say Hollywood had a good year, and I think it's because they had a solid foundation in say the Marvel Cinematic Universe or. Deadpool 2, like the first Deadpool movie being good enough to, to basically <laughs> have Deadpool 2 be a, a louder version of the, <laughs> of the original Deadpool. Um, but there were a lot of pleasant surprises, like uh, Ready Player One, I was ready to be uh, an execrable movie. Uh, that mm-hmm. turned out fine. Uh, Solo, a Star Wars movie, also fine. Other, um, other recently... great Hollywood products, particularly Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. I recently caught up with uh, The House with a Clock in Its Walls. That was pretty good. And uh, mm-hmm. Rampage. I also saw Rampage this year, and that was okay. okay. Um, I, w- I want to give the uh, di- our director credit. Like He's the director of San Andreas, and it's like, oh, he remembered what genre movie he's doing, and he actually did it well, so good job. <laughs> okay. Good for yep. him. Randall something Thurber, right? Brand, Brand, Brad Payton. Oh, okay. oh, Brad Payton. Never mind. All right. Yeah. Did yeah. Why did I think that guy? Anyway, um, that's not the biggest surprise here, Joe, John. I mean, what if you want to be su- surprised by 2018, it's that I, Greg, liked a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> that is the first sign of the apocalypse. The gates are opening, people. <laughs> well, it's okay that I'm dead, and I've, I've obviously ascended <laughs> oh. to the next realm. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Greg, Greg, Greg never existed in this reality. I yeah. forgot. <laughs> Don't th- we don't forget gags. We don't forget. We keep them <laughs> No, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> we stay committed, damn it. Yes. So yeah, I I genuinely enjoyed Isle of Dogs and I think that really that really typifies the air like how surprising it was. Also Black Panther, like I really liked that movie. Um, mm-hmm. surprising even though again, I'm with conventional wisdom on that one and I hate being with conventional wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to hate it so badly. Exactly. But, you know. Ugh, overrated, I say. <laughs> These but negroes need make... to know their place. <laughs> That would make you racist, yes. okay? Yeah, I know. No, I love it, so I'm yeah. not racist. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. good, 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 good. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed Infinity War, because, mm. again, I was fully expecting it to be an Age of Ultron-level mess, which, squinting at it, you can kind of see it, but it worked for me. Though, which so. I agree with. I thought, I thought it was <laughs> oh. a mess, but... <laughs> well, you're a bad person who no. hates joy and fun, as as proved by your, you know, hate of gremlins. How dare you? <laughs> 
That's not true. I mean, I it's been a long year, I think, and <laughs> I couldn't remember that Pacific Rim Uprising was a thing. Um, Greg, that's like your favorite movie. It is. That's true. According as to Twitter, I, that's your favorite movie. Oh, absolutely. As, I, as I've already said, they've got the, the best plot twist ever. <laughs> Somebody asked what the what the greatest alternative plot would be. If only Stacker Pentecost and his son Jake could uh, have a relationship instead of uh, Jake, poor Jake being orphaned. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really tragic. But, yeah. you know, I, I guess we'll see more of the Pacific Rim mythos uh, going forward. <laughs> and I look forward oh, to boy, it. Boy, howdy. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting year. Uh, a lot of kind of and everything that wasn't kind of experimental, like kind of I don't know. They, well, what was experimental they, they, in your mind? Um, well, one of my favorite movies is *Year Annihilation*. Ah, well, is, yes. I guess yeah. That's a uh, as I've heard it described before. I'm just going to copy it. Sorry, I mm. can't remember who to attribute it to, but a, a tone poem of a sci-fi movie. <laughs> <Ooh>. Exactly. <laughs> um, I also saw an interesting horror movie this year called *A Quiet Place*. That's true. You might have heard of that one. It was it was directed by Jim from The Office. <laughs> that one was quite interesting as well, and I'm kind of surprised at how much I enjoyed that one. I mean, any, I, I'm I'm flimsy and dead inside, so uh, <laughs> anything that kind of make me squirm in my seat, I have to give credence to. All right, fair enough. I would I wouldn't yep. call those things experimental, uh, based on the quality independent films that I've seen this year. Uh, oh, uh, here we go. Which, many here of we which go. Populate my top five. Oh. <laughs> Greg Mantel. All right, Greg. Top five. Go. Okay. Number five. Lean on Pete. Yes. We've already (laughs) talked about this. (laughs) You and some family members found it very boring. I, on the other hand... Like oh, he's Great. just so erudite. Even he appreciates it. Yes. Look at him. I I think what helps is uh, Charlie Plummer uh, playing kind of this. Oh, of playing a natural kid. I think that's that's what I admire most. That, uh, at least seeing in the top five, a lot of naturalistic uh, perf- uh, performances by child actors. That's a theme. Um, also goes into Roma. Mm-hmm. Number four. The kids are brattier in Roma, but um, <laughs> I think the realism really helps and really kind of drives the day. Uh, same with Shoplifters. A little bit, mm-hmm. even though there's those Spielbergian touches of uh, sentiment, you know, designed straight for your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And then the top two, we go uh, wildly off the rails. Uh, Ballad <laughs> of Buster Scruggs, uh, that shouldn't work. <laughs> uh, between being a musical and a realistic uh, romance on the Oregon Trail, followed by mm-hmm. uh, a badly produced stagecoach uh, play. But <laughs> again, I love it. I've watched it twice now. Um, anybody should see it on Netflix. Greatly admired it. Probably the f- movie I most enjoyed this year, um, but not the best. Oh, it it has not drilled a hole in my head the way that first performed did. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I am still thinking about it to this day. Even though and you hated that ending, you still yes. Oh, no, well, no, I haven't considered it. I've flip flopped on it about eighty million times. So okay. it's just a, it's like a Richter or it's like a Richter scale, just oscillating between love and loving and loathing it. So got it. Yeah. So and that's I feel that's what art should do. It should challenge. And so okay. I challenge everybody to see First Reformed and explain what you thought of its ending. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it was just a, a subtle advertisement for Bleach. <laughs> <laughs> Not Bleach, John. Uh, Drano. Oh, Drano. Yeah. My apologies, Drano. <laughs> Either way, he drinks something poisoned and he's fine. Yeah. Well, I, grows... we don't know. That's left ambiguous. One thing we oh, do know okay. is that he does wrap himself in barbed wire. All right. Well, for my top five, I went uh, Isle of Dogs mm-hmm. and then Avengers Infinity War, because I'm okay. nothing if not consistent. Least, no. <laughs> There's nothing, then, wrong, nothing wrong with being a big dum-dum, John. I oh, mean, thank you. Yeah. 
I mean, again, what was what was also close in my top five was Black Panther and A Star Is Born. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I've completely forgot about A Star Is Born. Yeah, um, but I mean, if again, if I have to go for you know what I enjoyed myself the most of, uh, it'd have to be uh, Isle of Dogs and then Infinity War and then Annihilation and then Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Oh gosh, two comic book movies <laughs> on my list of top five. I hate myself. <laughs> No, John, that's that's fine. I mean, you'll fit right in at the Den of Geek. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> now I wish I were never born. Uh, and then the best movie I've seen all year is definitely, by far, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Mm. And I think there is someone who has praised it online as, like, the most rewatchable movie imaginable. <laughs> and so after I, watch, after I watched it the first time, I couldn't wait to watch it again. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's just the Cohen skills with making these kind of episodic little, like literally episodic in this case, um, mm-hmm. little scenes and stories. Like it, I also wanted to revisit Fargo, um, mm-hmm. just, just this winter season, and yeah, just remembering all the all little scenes like between uh, Marge Gunderson and Mikey Aitakita lends nothing to the story really, but it is memorable seeing this kind of desperate guy and her remaining mm-hmm. stalwart yet affectionate and warm and. But I don't want to say loving because it's, it's not really a <laughs> romantic relationship. But uh, no, at least from his perspective, it is. From hers, yeah. obviously not. <laughs> yeah. No, why don't you sit over there? That way, you don't have to turn my neck. <laughs> exactly. So I, they're really good at those, like little again, little laughs and dialogue too. I mean, yep. here's a, here's a newsflash, people: <laughs> two two filmmakers on the rise. You should look out for them. <laughs> The Look Co- out for these Cohen brothers. The Cohen, Two for the price Cohen of brothers? one. Yeah, Cohen. I believe there's an H in their name. I, I think. <laughs> also, they're Jewish in Hollywood. <laughs> they'll never make it work. <laughs> so don't say that. All right. No, I'm sorry. They, I'm they sorry. control. They control all our media. So, you know, oh, Craig. <laughs> if you want this, if you want this podcast to take off at all, as it hasn't in, in 2018, then. <laughs> Craig, I'm looking forward to 2019. I think that 2019 is going to be our year. Absolutely. Okay? I'm ready. And I can I know the perfect way people can be prepared and ready for when Aspiring Snobs hits the top of the Apple charts yes. and is on the year-end list of every publication's top podcasts of the year. Number one, delete Facebook. Number two, yes. <laughs> get off Twitter. <laughs> Forget social media. Social media is over. We are over. Social it. media is dead. It's yes. all about Twitch now. We're Twitch streamers now. Yes. <laughs> But if you're on those platforms for whatever reason still in the year 2019, you just think, oh, my personal data, it doesn't matter. Just throw it out there. <laughs> my personal data and conversations, you know, just let it all let it all out there. Uh, go ahead and give us a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter. And once you're done with that, or mm-hmm. uh, if, if you've done that and you want to reach out to us more directly, you can always email us at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com. And I'm sure Google won't take those emails and sell them to the... <laughs> Highest bidder, whoever that may be. Um, political action <laughs> they committee. They sell emails? They sell emails? Well, they sell they your do, data, Greg? yeah. No, they read your emails, and then based on that, they can target you with specific ads, which yes. I welcome. Okay, I don't want to be targeted with garbage things that I'm not interested in. But, John, who are they selling the, that information to? <laughs> uh, only the most scrupulous people, Greg, okay? <laughs> like the people Why wouldn't they have distrib- my Like best the folks who uh, produced and distributed The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Netflix. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, only the most scrupulous. I know. Well, I, I think it was because we emailed back and forth. It was like, oh my gosh, aren't the Coen Brothers the best? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would watch every single movie they would ever make. Yes. And that's how they knew. Yes. Let's finance I would, this. If their movie was exclusively on a streaming service, I would buy that streaming service yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they start their own streaming service? That's Call it, it uh, Coen Struck. Coen Struck. <laughs>
I mean, Co- it would just Co- have the t- those twenty movies and then a bunch of interviews. Yeah, uh, let's call it Cohen Plus. Maybe they can give us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Cohen Plus. Maybe they, we can see exclusive interviews of just them being like, "Hey, eh, you know, yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we, we kind of thought know. it would work." Okay. <laughs> Intolerable cruelty. Yeah, I guess that was a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we wrote it and then we shot it and then we edited it and yeah, you know, there it is. <laughs> Lady Killers, we don't have anything to say <laughs> about that. Um, but yes, once you're done with all the social media gambling and selling of all your data, mm-hmm. you can always go to your podcast service of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Player FM or Acast, and you can give us a follow there and mm-hmm. then rate us five stars, and that'll help other people find us too. Yes, I look forward to the day the AV Club says, like, I can't believe we haven't heard of the Aspiring Stop sooner. <laughs> That's going to happen in 2019. All right. Well, well, I think that's sad that that's the the highest your ambition goes. It's like (laughs) AV Club will finally recognize us. John, what other hopes do podcasters have? Uh, I guess this is also true. Again, we were whining about a year-end list in the Atlantic or something. (laughs) The Atlantic wouldn't waste their time, Greg. They have too many important stories to tell. Like, did you know scientists found a a new clam? This clam is really interesting. (laughs) And also, uh, the, the Syrian strategy is more complicated than you think. Uh, <laughs> but John, how are we going ki- to... We've, we've got an optimistic vision for 2019. I'm dead. Um, <laughs> I've, I've been relieved of this mortal coil, um, and it's it's tightening every day. Um, mm-hmm. But tell us, John, what are we going to open in 2019 with, our first episode of the new year? Well, Greg, because the new year looks nothing but bright and optimistic and happy, we're going to have to balance things out with Apocalypse Now. Yes. <laughs> That is not prescient at all. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, with all this talk of wars and pulling troops out, I think it's important to s- talk about the troops who stayed behind. Yes. And see what kind of difference they make. Yeah. Difference makers. <laughs> That's what they should have called it. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I'm just going to throw this out there now, because it's a brilliant analogy. I'm sure nobody has ever mentioned it before. That Donald Trump guy, I think he's his own Kurtz, if you ask me. Wow. Yeah. Now who's gonna Ooh. who's gonna go up to the river? I guess it's Robert Mueller going up the river <laughs> trying to take him down. MacArthur, genius Grant to Greg Mantell for coming yes, up with this analogy. That's also gonna happen in 2019. <laughs> At least 50k coming my way. Right. They don't like calling it the genius Grant anymore, do they? Why they not? just call it the MacArthur? Yeah, I don't know. Like they still kind of people say like formally the genius Grant because that's the only name people remember about it. But now they're kind of like exactly. Eh. It's, it's literally it's literally right there in the name. Who doesn't want to be aspire to be called a genius? That that implies that you know uh, most people are stupid. You know, that's like it implies that there's like an imbalance. Uh, I, I would when agree. Really... Yeah, most people are stupid. Oh, Greg, <laughs> no. We're all just talented and unique in our own special special ways. Yes, true. Technically, yep. Lin Manuel Miranda got one, so who knows? Nope. <laughs> oh, the guy from Mary Poppins Returns. Fuck that. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, maybe genius isn't exactly apt, but <laughs> yeah, we're going after you, Lin Manuel Miranda. Okay. Yeah. Hamilton's stupid. <laughs> Get your epigraph battle of history out of here. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired. Shots yeah. fired. Hot take. Yeah. Hamilton sucks. Yeah. <laughs> again, opening strong in 2019. Well, you are because you're still alive. Me, on the other yes. hand, again, oh, I feel like a light, a light and infinity. Oh, I just feel great, and I'm just ready to go to the local movie theater. Ready to go see the movie I'm most looking forward to. Welcome to Marwin. Yes, here I come. <laughs> I, I was wrong. I said first performed my favorite movie of the year. Wrong. I know it's going to be Welcome to Marwin. 
But Greg, what movie are you talking about? There is no movie called Welcome to Marwin. What, what do you mean? No, Welcome to Marwin starring Steve Carell <laughs> and Amy Greg, Mann. Steve Leslie. Carell died in 1978. What? <laughs> He Why drowned he... when he fell through the ice. You weren't there to save him, so he oh wasn't gosh, there. To... I wasn't even <laughs> alive in 1978. <laughs> he what? wasn't there to star in the hit TV show The Office or the hit movie Welcome to Marwin. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm a huge champion of the documentary it's based on called Marwin Call. Obviously, <laughs> everybody loves that movie because I love it so much, too. <laughs> that movie was never made, Greg. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> help me. Help me, John. Help me. I don't want to see Welcome to Marwin again. <laughs> I want to see Welcome to Marwin. Please, God, let me see Welcome to Marwin. Greg, Greg, what are you doing? Wake up, Greg, wake no, up. No, John, I'll sock you again. <laughs> Greg, Greg, it was just a dream. John, you, John, you know me? <laughs> of course I know you, Greg. <laughs> hey, would you know that? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, movie house. Merry Christmas, Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Steve Carell. And Merry Christmas, uh, whatever that guy's, Mark uh, something or other, the guy who's... Hodgepodge, Hodgepodge. I'm pretty yeah, sure the guy who, yeah, the guy who inspired Malcolm Marwin, the greatest movie of 2018, and, or ever, if possible. <laughs> we did it, guys. Yeah. Closing Nailed out it. another great year. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm alive again, um, feeling <laughs> existential despair and ennui, but... And we are looking forward to giving you all the best Welcome to Marwin-related content. <laughs> In 2019. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but until that happens, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring, movie house! <laughs> <laughs> keep aspiring, you old building alone! <laughs> <laughs>